Hello and happy Tuesday, my friends. This is Amy B. San Juan, and I'd like to welcome you back to another informative episode of Cisco Champion Radio, where we provide insights and visibility into products and solutions across the Cisco portfolio and trending topics across our industry. If you like our podcast, please follow us and feel free to share your favorite episodes with your colleagues and friends. And if you have any thoughts or comments on what we should cover in a future episode, let us know. Talk with us on Twitter at, at Cisco Champion. Today, we are talking about security and specifically how Meraki MX can help secure your network today. We have an amazing panel, so let's get started with introductions and then we'll dive into the discussion. Zoe, we're going to start with you. Who are you? Hi, my name is Zoe Rose. I am currently a Regional Information Security Lead at Canon EMEA, and you can follow me on Twitter at RoseSecOps. All right. Lynn, you're up next. Hey, thank you. My name is Lynn Ledford, and I am a Solutions Architect at Sirium Networks based out of the Pacific Northwest. Um, Good to see everybody. Thank you. Glad to have you. Evan, what have you been up to? Oh, not much. So <laughs> my name is Evan Mincer. I am a information security manager located in the Pennsylvania area. Um, I work for a healthcare services provider and I can be found online at Evan Mincer. I missed the opportunity to call you Ethan. Oh yeah, let's not go there. <laughs> All right, Chris, thank you for being our guest today. Um, can you tell us who you are and what you do at Cisco? Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, my name is Chris Weber. I'm a product manager at Cisco Meraki, uh, covering security on the MX uh, portfolio. All right. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna have a great discussion today. But before we get to that, can you give us a little bit more background on today's topic? I don't think I did it justice. Yeah. So today we want to talk about uh, the theme for today was demystifying security. And I think about this uh, in the context of sort of the transition that we've seen happen over the past few years, uh, particularly in the security space. You know, circa 2018, SASE started to become a a thing in the market. Um, You know, then we hit, then the pandemic hit us, you know, shortly after that. And, uh, you know, these past years and even before that, you know, the the network has expanded from just being this very perimeter centric branch office, um, physical location centric model to one now where, you know, the network is everywhere. You know, customers are increasingly adopting cloud technologies, moving into the AWS, Azure's, GCPs of the world. Uh, and now, you know, we've got people working from everywhere. Um, you know, I think now, nowadays it's even more um, challenging because you don't just have remote workers now. You know, now that people have gone back into the office, things have opened up. Now you've got this, you know, this hybrid environment of not just cloud and remote workers, but you've also got, you know, that that branch office location again. So um, I think the, the security space in general has become... In, in securing your environment has become very complex these past few years. And so today we want to talk a bit about that, how the Meraki MX can help uh, secure your network, as well as how we're thinking about some of these trends that are happening in, in security, things like uh, data loss prevention or zero trust or these different um, technologies that are emerging uh, pretty rapidly. Okay. Uh, well, I, I, I think the first place to start would be uh, probably defining um, SASE because I think not everybody probably is familiar with that term. And then also, um, yeah, let's start with that, actually. Yeah. So uh, so when we talk about SASE, 
this has definitely been a big uh, you know point of conversation and you know, a big part of Cisco's strategy now you know since it became a thing in you know in the 2018 timeframe and so SASE for those who aren't familiar with it is the secure access service edge you know to put a the formal definition on it um, it really is this idea of moving security from you know the on-prem from from the edge of the network into a cloud-based service um, and deliver it as a service to users so it's not just you know um, providing security for a physical location but it's sort of a cloud delivered service just like you might consume from you know AWS or Azure for computing um, but really delivering those security services everywhere to users who might be anywhere Chris we uh, you talked about the MX product product line um, just want to talk about so how does that help the security in the office environment yeah so I think I'll unpack this in, in two ways. Um, one, I'll talk about about what we're doing today, and, and as well as you know how we how we do that today. So from a scale, you know, from when we look at you know how do we evolve security, how do we protect our customers? Um, security is, uh, scale is definitely a big aspect of that, and we see that as we continue to grow, as you know, and, and as customers grow with us. Um, it's not just about you know making sure our customers are secure, but making sure we can do that in a performant way, um, and in a way that you know gives the users a really good experience because I think we all know, right? Is if, if your page takes a couple, you know, if, if more than a few seconds to load, we all get frustrated, and you know, and there goes the whole experience. And uh, and so, from a scale perspective, just to to give some context in what we're working under today, um, we've got about uh, nearly two million devices now deployed under management uh, across our MX and Z portfolio. Um, across that, because we've got this visibility from from the Meraki dashboard into pretty much everything that happens across those platforms. We, we know that there's about a trillion and a half flows of traffic that pass through our devices every day. So pretty pretty large scale, right, in terms of the amount of traffic you've got to think about and how do you secure all of that traffic. Um, there's about 75 million endpoints connected to MX devices daily. And there's about 25 billion threats that we're blocking every month across our portfolio, across all of those 2 million devices that are deployed. And so the way we do that, um, and there's a lot of technology packed inside of these, these little boxes, um, but a lot of it is, you know, is, is, is packed full of this Cisco technology. So there's things like you know, traditional firewalling, right? Layer three, layer seven firewalling, application-based firewalling. But there's also, you know, uh, intrusion prevention where you were leveraging Snort and, and a lot of Talos intelligence for all of this, um, as well as content filtering, which is now powered by Talos as well. Um, so there's a lot of this intelligence um, that we, we get from, uh, from this Talos ecosystem that we have within Cisco um, from all the products that feed into it that power all these different security technologies that, that go into these these boxes. So Chris, you mentioned as we move SASE into the cloud, how does the MX firewall play in cloud, like Azure, AWS, Google? Yeah, great question. Um, so we have a virtual product today called the, the BMX. Um, that is deployed today as a SD-WAN uh, VPN termination point uh, to facilitate that SD-WAN connectivity into the cloud. Um, but we are bringing all those technologies that I talked about, those security technologies, into that platform as well. Um, so we can bring security right to the edge of the uh, of the VPC, um, but then as we you know as as you know the security uh, perimeter expands, as the security needs expand of an organization, um, and I think we'll, we'll get into this some more. But the you know there's there's certain capabilities we're going to have to offload to the cloud to that SASE cloud delivered service, um, things like decrypt or things like inline data loss prevention or some of these some of these capabilities that are not as readily um, or perform it to be able to be run on prem or at the edge. You can deploy, you know, offload those kit capabilities to the cloud edge, and uh, and, and leverage them there. So, um, short answer is yeah, we are bringing those security features into the the VMX to run at the VPC edge, and then 
selectively offload other capabilities into the SASE edge as well. Yeah, I like your mention of the SD-WAN capabilities also. So we could also use that cloud-delivered firewall maybe as an on-ramp type of situation for our remote workers because, like we said, they now work in coffee shops or somewhere out in the middle of nowhere, right in their RV, right? Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, you could definitely, you know, if you've got a lot of remote workers, um, that is definitely capable of running AnyConnect, uh, the, the client VPN solution we have. Um, so you could definitely connect remote users right to that, um, you know, right to that VMX appliance sitting inside of AWS. Um, that might, you know, that might just give connectivity into applications that run in the cloud, um, or it could also leverage that SD-WAN fabric uh, as connectivity down to the branch uh, as another means of uh, connecting and securing those those users. So we don't have to deploy MXs to all the end users when they're at home. Correct. Yeah. And so there's a few different ways you can can connect remote workers, right? You could definitely do it yourself, right? As you know, a DIY model um, where you deploy the VMX yourself, you manage it. Maybe it's connecting users right into your VPC in the cloud, and that's totally fine. That, that works great. Um, or if you just want a sort of as a service connectivity for users that provides secure internet connectivity, um, that's where the SASE solutions really come into play and leveraging that as a service, uh, that, that security as a service uh, for those remote workers. Or from an organization maybe that's starting to look to go in this direction, where would they essentially, where'd they start? Where would they start looking um, to begin? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question, right? And, and it's something we think a lot about is um, in this, you know, in this transition and this, this expansion of security that's happened the past few years, I think it presents that an interesting challenge for security administrators today, right? Exactly what you mentioned. You know, I can run security on-prem, on devices at the edge. I can run security in the cloud. So where do I run my security, right? It's, it's, a, it's a great question. It's a very common question. And I think the short answer is both. Um, you know, as much as it's great to be able to push capabilities into the cloud, um, I think if it's, it's, it's useful to look at how this, has, this model has evolved in the computing space. Right. Look at what's happening with with the hyperscalers of the world, and you know they've built out a very robust cloud service to deliver computing capabilities. And we've seen a lot of people move their applications from traditional on-prem up into the cloud. Um, but now you see those same hyperscalers coming out with you know more and more uh, geos, data centers, and more geos getting close to the user, metro geolocation uh, uh, data centers, as well as going right into the branch or right into the data center with their outpost platforms or you know the the small compute platforms that they deploy right in the edge. And the model there is, you know, it's great to be able to run certain things in the cloud, but, you know, when you consider latency and needing quick, you know, results or quick uh, computing close to the edge, um, that's where it's sort of like this balance of, you know, leveraging the cloud plus edge capabilities. And so I think the same is also is, is also true. And we're going to see that uh, that grow over the coming years is this, this more of a hybrid security model where it's not just about do I do everything on prem or do I do everything in the cloud, but the pendulum sort of will come back to the middle of you know leveraging both of those technologies where it makes sense. Um, and things like you know you'll still have the need to do firewalling on prem in your branch. I want to I've got guest users, I've got my production users in a location. I still need to segment those. I still need to protect those. I need to make sure guest people are not able to access production servers, IoT devices, corporate users when they come into the office. Um, so that's something that's definitely going to continue to, to be a requirement for many organizations on-prem. Um, and so similarly, you might want be, you know, certain capabilities like content filtering or application firewall. You can do that really quickly at the edge, you know, pretty close to line rate. Um, so that's not a huge uh, performance barrier for customers. But then when you start to get into other uh, means that you know, maybe as you, as you continue to evolve your security strategy, 
Uh, things like decrypt are very expensive, very hard to do on dedicated on-prem appliances. And that, that's a really good example of where we can offload traffic into the cloud to be decrypted and inspected um, versus trying to do all that stuff in the edge. So I think the, the short answer is really, you know, really lightweight, um, low latency, fast security capabilities we can continue to do at the edge. And then some of these more in-depth uh, inspection features are things that will be continue to be candidates to be offloaded into the cloud. Yeah, Chris, I think one of the one of the important things for me is is the end user experience. So as you know, end users working in the office should have a similar experience when they're remote because one thing, you know, as a security person, I do not want to tell them when you're in the office, do this, but when you're remote, do this, it needs to kind of be the same. So, so, so how, I mean, cause it sounds all, you know, kind of complex with everything there. How does it all tie together? Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think, you know, you definitely want to get in that with users, right? Because they're never going to follow it anyways. Um, and so, you know, you need a, you need a strategy that's, that's going to be, you know, holistic and encompassing of no matter where the user is, like you said, it needs to be easy, you know, it needs to be something they can just, you know, kind of set and forget. But I think that that experience also applies to the security administrator too, right? Um, if they have, even if you can abstract that away from the user, it's it's also not great if, you know, if the end solution is something where the administrator has got to go to, you know, three or four different platforms to orchestrate this, this abstraction for the user and, you know, and bring all that security, whether it's in the cloud or it's on-prem together. So that's something we've been thinking a lot about in terms of how do we unify that experience um, with, you know, if people just have on-prem and then if they continue to expand and they go, you know, they, they adopt SASE and this cloud-delivered security as well, how do we make that all as one experience for the administrator as well as the end user um, so that it's really easy for them to not only deploy, but monitor and manage on an ongoing basis? So yes, definitely agree with that. You know, that's that's definitely the the mindset we have and we're operating in is, is how can we make that easy for both of those? So Chris, that leads into the next question. Now that I have firewalls in the cloud, I've got firewalls on-prem, I've got firewalls at remote users' offices. Are we looking at a way to start bringing an org level type of policy build, at least at a base layer, so I can keep consistency? Yeah, exactly. And that's a great way to tee that off because I think that's the that's the really key differentiator with you know the network policy and the security policy. Um, and historically, you know, our policy has been defined on a per network basis. Um, and, and part of that follows, you know, uh, follows the network trend. And networking configuration often, you know, is bespoke per network. You've got different subnets and VLAN configurations on every network. So that, that makes sense, right? That is often bespoke. But security policy is universal, right? I don't want to allow malware on one side and block it on another side. I just, my policy is to block malware no matter where it is. And so, yes, uh, exactly that is, is, is starting to uplift these policies to more of an organizational level. So I can define it, I can define my intent, and then have that intent or that policy pushed wherever it needs to be go wherever it needs to be pushed to. So if that's an on-prem device, if I've got that there, like an MX, but if I've got also the cloud service, um, that should also go up to the cloud service, maybe where remote users are connecting. And you know, I don't wanna have to think about, is it does this policy go on this product or this location on-prem in the cloud? I just wanna define my intent and let the, the system figure out where that intent and where that policy needs to apply, regardless, uh, no matter which technologies you're using. So now we're going back to an intent-based or contextual-based network, right? So we ingest data from something like Cisco ICE to give us an identity and a location, and then we can also use Active Directory. How does that going to play into moving forward? Yeah, it definitely starts getting into the the whole zero trust discussion. Um, so yeah, identity is identity is core to this, right? And I think when we think about policy, and especially firewall policy, even though that sort of gets captured under the the whole zero trust umbrella. 
Um, the, the crux of the problem or the issue that, that people want to, to, to do these days when they define their policy is, I don't want to define my policy based on IPs and VLANs anymore. I want to define it based on the user and the application, right? And, and regardless of which network or wireless network they're connected to or wherever they are in, in the organization, in the office, working from home, I want that policy to follow the user, right? And, uh, and, and make sure that they can access the application they need no matter where they're coming from. I think I think that you've touched on zero trust uh, like briefly very t- uh, a few times, but I think it might be good to just kind of define um, your perspective there and how organizations can then begin to make use of this within their zero trust journey. Because I wouldn't say it's a end point; it's a journey. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, I think with everything security, it's always it's definitely a journey, right? And um, it's constantly evolving, constantly in flux. Um, and, uh, and so yeah, zero trust is definitely one of those um, very broad topics. You know, there's different definitions of zero trust depending on who you're talking to. Um, so I, I think it, it can definitely get very confusing for people that are looking to adopt zero trust, whatever that might mean to them. Um, for us, it's really around a few key use cases, and that is you know, identity-based access. Um, so very, you know, at, at a high level things like identity-based firewalling. And we've done that for many years uh, with Active Directory integration. And you can define group policies and, and certain security policies depending on the user and, and the group that they're associated to in Active Directory. So that's already there today, but going kind of a step further and bringing that into the firewall itself. So you can define identity-based firewall policies, you know, um, is always allowed to access, you know, this application, and then that follows you no matter where you're connecting, whether it's remote or whether it's in the office, um, wherever you might be in the environment. Um, but there's also um, so that's that's sort of within the network. There's also the, the private access use cases and people working remote needing to access resources or applications inside the network. And we typically did that traditionally with things like port forwarding, right? That was like that's like the the original way of getting remote users access to an application inside the network. The problem with that is it's it, it's IP centric, right? So you need to know the IPs of where people are coming from in order to allow them to the application. That might have been easier, you know, pre-pandemic, right? When people generally were located more often inside of the the network perimeter or within specific, you know, IP boundaries. But now people working everywhere, you go, you know, you work down the road from the coffee shop one day, you can't follow, you know, you don't know where the IPs are that people are coming from. And so trying to trying to create that, you know, keep that dynamic and um, and enable that kind of access, it doesn't work, right? So you need more of an identity-based authentication and authorization policy to allow users access to those applications. Um, so that's the other you know, use case that we're, we're also looking at is how we enable easier authenticated access for remote workers, whether it's an employee or it could even be third-party contractors, it's also a common use case, and giving them that, that, that kind of access into the application, not necessarily just to the network. So Chris, you talked about a few different products as we talked about. We talked, I heard ICE, I heard uh, the secure client. What else is out? I know Cisco has a few other products out there like Umbrella and, and, and stuff like that. How does it all tie together then? Yeah, so um, definitely there's that need. You know, we've got a lot of security products in Cisco. Um, we've got a lot of these integrations even within Meraki, right? We do uh, DNS security with Umbrella. Um, now we do the whole, you know, we can connect to the SASE cloud, which is, is also Umbrella uh, using SD-WAN or, or VPN. And, uh, and then you've got, you know, all the security functionality that I talked about earlier that's packed in that box, you know, giving different telemetry and security verdicts. Um, and so, 
and there's a lot more technologies obviously within Cisco that we would love to consume as well. And so, yeah, you need a really good way to pull that together and, uh, and not have very different dashboards for, for everything. Um, so SecureX is a great way that, that ties these different security products together within Cisco. And then, you know, we look at that from a perspective of how can we bring some of that telemetry and some of that visibility inside the market dashboard as a you know, sort of landing place for um, managing and monitoring security. Uh, and then selectively, I think the, the important part is not to um, try to converge everything into one place, um, but really make it meaningful, uh, the, the data that you do service in one place, and then allow people to pivot selectively into these different platforms when they need to, if they want to deep dive into um, into certain uh, platforms like Umbrella or uh, or ICE or those other platforms where they need to. So it's kind of like um, uh, you're saying like uh, you have the SecureX um, uh, dashboard, but then you also get the meaningful information that somebody would actually need within the Meraki dashboard. So they'd kind of make use of both of them essentially. Um, and then um, I, I imagine there may be situations where organizations have their own uh, other tooling. So is there uh, different uh, integrations that are, are existing that people could make use of um, within like, maybe if they've already got their own little pretty dashboards, they can collect data into that. Yeah, so it definitely starts, you know, from from a Meraki perspective, um, and, and thinking sort of about the, the the typical Meraki user, um, the experience typically starts within the Meraki dashboard for them, um, whether it's you know on the networking side, it's on the security side. Um, so it's really like the, the experience starts there, and so that's where it's useful to surface the meaningful security intelligence, the events that are important to them that might be high risk or things that they should be focusing on, and then selectively guide those those users to the other platforms to deep dive if they need to deep dive. So if I see a security incident that happened that may be high risk and I need to look at that today, um, and I wanna dig into some more details on what happened and, and everything around that, um, that's where we could really uh, pivot people into a platform like SecureX to dive deeper. Um, but you know, for just the general day to day, that might be something that's that's useful to be monitored from a market dashboard perspective. And then as you wanna deep dive into these different um, incidents or into these different events that happen, um, that's where we can pivot into those platforms as needed. Um, and then for third party, uh, you know, for other systems that people have, because it's very common in, in security space, right? It's not just Cisco that has a lot of different security products. The industry as a whole has many different security tools out there. And so some of the, the, the integration state that exist here are things like, you know, NetFlow and Syslog export, right? That's very common for people to export those into their own CM platforms and do their own analysis of the traffic flows and the security events that happen. Um, so that's that's very common. That's heavily used today, um, and I think that will continue. Right? You're not going to. I don't think we're going to be able to, you know, um, kind of unify all of those platforms together. But definitely, um, still looking at of these platforms that people use, these third-party CMs, how we can bring some of that intelligence back into into the the dashboard experience as well. So I'm noticing that more and more customers are needing to know who's getting on their network, right, and what's getting on the network. You know, I like to recommend Systems Manager. It's kind of an easy button to get around, say maybe a full-blown .1x type of thing. Um, how, can we talk a little bit about that? And then also, AnyConnect is great, right? So I can, as long as I can get on a computer, I can connect back to the firewall with AnyConnect. I just type in username and password. But my eight-year-old's been playing Minecraft on that computer, and we probably don't want that computer on my network. How can I make sure, using Systems Manager, that this is the my corporate computer coming in? So that I know it's clean. Is that fair? Yeah, definitely. And that's definitely something you know ties into that whole identity concept we talked about, right? And 
Um, I think that's it's, System Manager is a great product and a great way to inform that identity of you know of the device, where it's located, um, some posture concepts about the device and what's installed on it, um, and making sure that you know the the things that are installed on in it abide by my corporate policies, so that um, there's a lot of telemetry that comes out of devices that are managed by Systems Manager, and so we are looking at how do we tie that you know that posture and that visibility that we have of that endpoint when it's there into these policies, so that if somebody does install a malicious program or sort of a non-compliant you know application maybe like minecraft onto your corporate laptop you know that that maybe that's maybe there would be some deciding factor there that um that that's that's a criteria that's not you know that's not acceptable and so the device would not be able to connect um, whether through any connect or some of these authorization policies um, onto the network and so there's definitely a, a huge wealth of data from something systems manager um, that we are looking at how we tie into whether it's remote access, AnyConnect, or even just identity-based access that we talked about earlier. Yeah, so I believe Systems Manager can bring, what is it, IPSK type of authentications back into our wireless network, or even a kind of a .1x workflow to make sure, you know, we're doing things like dynamic VLANs, where when you log in, you only get access to certain networks type of thing. How, how does that help us? Yeah, and the, like, the, the identity piece of it, for sure, and the even just the orchestration of, you know, the... Uh, with, with the things like SM Sentry and being able to get you know the Wi-Fi configuration or some of these different configurations onto that endpoint, so that they can connect and authenticate to uh, like the Wi-Fi, for example, and then tie that policy that the user back into our policies, like an identity-based firewall policy, because um, that's the core of it, right? If you want to build a policy that follows a user no matter where they are, you need to know where that user is whenever they're connecting to the network, whether in the office or remote. Um, and so system manager is a great way to, to be able to, to determine that identity and be able to tie that into that policy, no matter if it's a remote policy or remote connection or an internal connection. So we talked a bit about um, people coming in, but um, I know you mentioned briefly uh, data loss prevention. Um, so I'm curious on your thoughts on that in like, um, uh, I think you mentioned a couple of times, but we didn't specifically uh, talk about uh, like, uh, protecting against accidental or uh, not just malicious actors, but also accidentally uh, removing data out of the network or accidentally sending something. So how can it help us with that as well? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, I think data access, data protection is definitely top of everybody's mind these days, right? And, and not just access to the application, but the data that resides in those applications. And uh, and I think data loss prevention is a great technology, but I think it's one that often gets, you know, the use cases get conflated depending on how you look at it. And so the the core kind of problem that you solve with data loss prevention features is the ability to prevent some internal employee unintentionally uploading sensitive content to something like an open Dropbox share or in, you know, an application where they might not, uh, where maybe they weren't supposed to upload that document. Um, and I think that often gets conflated with the use case of, you know, preventing a malicious actor who's got access to my organization who managed to get access to that data and preventing them from being able to exfiltrate data out of the network. If somebody like that who's malicious in intent and has access to the data, if they have if they have if they're if they're both those things, they're gonna get that data out one way or another. You know, you might zip it up, you might archive it, you might send it off in, in many different ways. Um, and you might even put it on USB depending on what kind of access you have inside the inside the network. Um, so that's a use case that you know I think people often associate to data loss prevention, but it's one that is basically not going to be solved for 
um, because they're going to get the data no matter what. But that first one of preventing a unintentional user from uploading something like an employee record to a place that maybe it shouldn't have, it shouldn't be residing or that's overly exposed. That's definitely the, the key use case to solve for um, for data loss prevention. So, Chris, you mentioned about how um, we can protect the inside the, the the corporate office, the data that's there. And we're talking about DLP to prevent them users from sending them to places they shouldn't be. But what about companies that might be using like SharePoint Online or they might be using Box, where the data that's not at the corporate office? How how, how does it how do can we protect that data? So now you really start to get into the the SASE component of of the security architecture. Right, and uh, and so there's a few different ways that you can protect that kind of you know that kind of traffic, whether it's like Office 365 or Dropbox, what have you. Um, the first one, the most traditional one, is you know inline decrypt that traffic, right, and inspect it and make sure that you know the users that are uploading traffic are uploading you know things that don't have sensitive content to these locations. Obviously, that's getting harder and harder. You know, TLS 1.3 made decrypting traffic much harder. And I'm willing to, to bet that you know TLS 1.4 and, and other standards are definitely on their way um, out there, so that, that are going to make it even harder to do. And so we can't just be reliant on decrypting traffic to be able to enforce this, this, this these security policies. Um, but also that's that's where uh, the notion of CASB comes in, or cloud act, cloud act, uh, application security broker. And uh, and so the intent of CASB, and especially API based CASBs is that they have API-level integrations with platforms like Office 365 or Dropbox. And the intent of those integrations is to essentially, as users are uploading files to these platforms, um, they take a copy of those files, inspect that, that those files for um, sensitive content, PII type of data. And then if that data does reside in those platforms, um, or maybe in pl places of that platform that they shouldn't reside, like an open, you know, a wide open share folder, um, then they can automatically either remove those files from those platforms or redact you know at least the sensitive content from those files and keep the content there um, and so that's really the intent of um, not just be relying on being able to decrypt things at a network layer but going beyond that and tying in from these cloud security platforms to these these cloud applications through apis to be able to monitor inspect and audit that content and did you have a question I think uh, I did, but Evan answered it in a or asked it in a much better oh, he way. Stole so it. he got it. Yeah. Great minds think alike. Yes. So Chris, in the last comment, you talked about API-based integrations. Um, are we going to see more and more? I mean, Rocky's really been a leader in how they've opened up APIs to their dashboard. What are we? I'm kind of asking what's going on in the future, or how can we begin to use APIs to tie what we have today together to make my life easy? Yeah, absolutely, and that's definitely a common ask for, especially on the security side of things, right? And so we've been both, I'll look at this both from a market-centric view, which is um, we've been building out APIs for most of our security capabilities, both from a configuration perspective as well as a monitoring and auditing perspective. So today, probably about 90% of, of our security capabilities have APIs to accompany them. Um, so it makes, you know, when we talked about tooling earlier and all these other tools that, that people use to, to monitor and to audit their environment, uh, it's an easy way to tie, to tie those tools into the intelligence and the data and the events that they're they're getting from their Meraki environment. Um, but we are also looking at um, how do we not just expose APIs for our platform, but how do we consume APIs from other platforms? So within Cisco, you know, you, you see a lot of these uh, integrations with things like Umbrella that come into the Meraki dashboard. Those are heavily API driven between between platforms. But even with third parties like the cloud platforms, AWS, Azure, GCP, 
we've got the, the BMX product we talked about earlier that runs in those platforms. Uh, we definitely want to make it easier for, for our customers to deploy that into the cloud. And so we are building API integrations with those cloud platforms so that from within the market dashboard, you can click a button and deploy that BMX right into your VPC in the cloud. Um, but you can imagine that going beyond that, you know, similar to the API CASB we talked about, using those API level um, visibility and insights you have into those environments, you can also tie some of that, con con um, that, that, that context back into your security policies um, and bring some of that visibility of that, that environment back into the Meraki dashboard and tie that back into some of, this, uh, some of these security policies. And that's great. So even I mean, Meraki has been the easy button for a lot of my customers, small, mid-sized jobs, one or two people. It sounds like with all of these tools, all this complexity, Meraki is still going to keep an easy button for us. Yeah, it's definitely top of mind um, for, with everything we do. It's always got to come back to um, you know, simplicity, 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 and how do we make it really easy for um, not just for network administrators to do their job, but also I think increasingly security administrators make it, making it really easy for them to do uh, to do their job. So that's definitely front and center for everything we, we, we do and we will continue to do, and um, you'll definitely see that continue to come out. And, and make sure the end user experience is, is simple so that we're not asking them to, to think about security. Exactly, yeah. I think even even we don't want to, to, to do that, you know, when we're working from home or working in the office and think about this complexity. I think, you know, it's common across all the, the whole user base that nobody wants to deal with that, that kind of complexity. Simplicity is a major part of security because otherwise nobody's going to follow it. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, Chris, did we cover anything, anything we missed? Any last comments, questions that you might have yourself? I will touch on one thing that Len mentioned to her, which was around this idea of AI ops. And you know, I, early on, I mentioned you know this statistic that we've got you know a trillion and a half flows of traffic passing through a box every day, and uh, and so the idea with the AI ops is to not only leverage that data, you know, to give security insights and visibility to to the traffic that's traversing all these different platforms, because um, like we talked about, decrypt is getting harder and harder. So we can't just be relying on decrypt, but we've got to use all this data and this intelligence that are flowing through our boxes to identify anomalous behavior or suspicious activity on the network. But then tying that back into, into the policy, into the network and being able to say, hey, there's a, there's a client on this network that's suddenly experiencing you know, 100 different security events in the past five minutes. That's really weird, that's suspicious. I'm gonna block that device on the network from accessing my, my network or maybe at least reduce the, the network or internet access that it has until a security admin can come in and see what's going on and take corrective access. So trying to tie that with those security events and that intelligence back into more of an automated uh, policy and detection response workflow. Can it do, can it have the feature of like, um, uh, instead of blocking it or, or does it have the option of like, uh, it takes X amount of time to understand what normal user behavior is and then and then starts doing those actions, but can it also, could I also be like, uh, take the action that you mentioned is um, block it or uh, reduce traffic, but it can also just do monitoring and so it can flag it when it's unusual, but maybe not actually actively reduce it. I'm assuming that's also possible. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, you do definitely need that sort of learning period, right? And identify like what is, what is a normal behavior versus what is anomalous. And then, yeah, I think from policy automation perspective, like. You always want to automate things as much as you can, but like you need to give the be able to have the flexibility of, you know, maybe if this happens, I, I only want to notify, but not prevent or block things. And then other people might just say, I'm going to go fully into blocking and, you know, just restrict that entirely until I can, I can take a look at what's happening. So I think you always need both of those ends of, 
your flexibility. I mean, if I had my way, I'd block it all, but um, I'd probably get in trouble. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so for me, this is where a small shop can go back and use something like Systems Manager to be able to know which endpoint is doing that. And then I can take action on it, right? I can say, eh, let's move you over to a guest-only network for a little bit, right? Exactly. And since we have, you know, that access, not just at an MX perspective, but in Rocky, we've got, you know, the switching fabric, we've got the wireless fabric as well. Um, you can push that policy and, and that um, that sort of blocking decision right down to the access there. You don't even have to wait for that traffic to traverse all the way back to NMX. Um, so I think the more control points you have from endpoint all the way up, you know, the stack and into the cloud, um, the more the more we can continue to push these policies as close to the user as possible. So the full stack Meraki integration from top to bottom. Exactly. Yep, you got it. Well, I, I was going to say, it sounds like it doesn't need to be necessarily full stack, but if you do have it, it does give you more features, exactly. essentially. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Great job, everyone. Uh, to our listeners, if you want to continue your learning on today's topic, check out the links provided in the show notes below. And of course, I have to remind you every week, you can subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alerts on your latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure to click on that subscribe or follow button now. Thank you for listening in. See you again next week.